Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear west turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta So how's the weather out in Wichita? Well, yesterday it was like uh, beyond windy. Uh, today it was really pleasant and maybe got to 80. Oh, really? Oh, humidity, light wind. Uh, yeah, it's not even supposed to hit uh, 80 the rest of the week. Some boomers in the forecast later in the week. So but I got stuck outside of a bar yesterday. That may surprise you. Yeah, I know. That's like that's. I don't know. There's a joke there someplace. <laughs> well, was was, in, was supposed to a, attend an event, a private event at the bar in in memory of an old friend who passed last week, and apparently the uh, opening time got poobard not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah. And so I missed the final two emails that misinformed and then finally once and for all corrected the starting time so i was there about two hours early and i left about two hours early yeah i uh it was the only safe thing to do i have a reason to spend some time every month or so with some some rather senior gentlemen all of them pilots and um i'm always struck um by how you know technology just seems to have passed them by for the most part. <laughs> what do you mean by that? It's just older people, and I'm I'm getting there myself. I'm not you know not trying to speak disparagingly or whatnot. My mother, she never could master this email. Uh-huh. She couldn't figure it out. That's um, the funny thing is everybody involved in this is a past master at getting email and sending email and sending email you don't want. Yeah. And sending and not sending email you do want. And sending email with misinformation. That's kind of kinda what that's kinda what I'm saying. No. Part. Yeah. That's kind of that's kinda what I'm saying. I don't think it's a I guess I think it's just simply a, a seniority thing, an age thing. No, see cuz my mom around, by around about age 75 my mom, out of the blue, announced that she wanted a computer. Uh-huh. And so we got her a computer, and she took to it like a duck to water, man. She was doing email and surfing the net uh-huh. and, and uh, playing. My late father-in-law was the same way, and yeah. my late father had no use for it whatsoever. Well, yeah. my mother. Now, this, I, was strictly a, this was strictly yeah. a single point failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a single point failure that then got miscorrected. Speaking of two, two additional times before the final correct information was sent once and for all with no further addendums or, or, or extensions necessary. Uh, fortunately, somebody that knew that, the, that it was all foobard had the good sense, the courtesy, and the human kindness to drive up there with beer in a cooler and plastic cups and several varieties of distilled uh, items 
in the back. So in the back parking lot, out of the wind, where we could keep our hats on, uh, those of us who arrived early started the party on time. There you go. There you go. I like it. Speaking of single-point failures, um, has anybody landed up there on the beach recently? Uh, I haven't done that in a while, no. Uh, how, how many beaches do you all have out there? <laughs> Actually, we got a couple. Yeah? Yeah, they're next to these big man-made lakes. They're suitable for landing airplanes on? Uh, yeah, a couple of them could be. Uh, you, you might conflict a little bit with the fishermen, sunbathers, beach umbrellas, picnic tables, and sundry uh, uh, blankets. But there's um, no Class Bravo airspace nearby. No, 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 not even Charlie. Nearest Charlie is like... Okay, what I'm, what I'm getting at here is this, uh, I want to call him a kid, but this guy, uh, this pilot, uh, who landed we, his... We have a technical name for them back uh, in, a, in a job I used to have. We called them Nimnols. Yeah, who landed his airplane on Rockaway Beach, New York, uh, right in the shadow of uh, the Kennedy Airport and just uh, all kinds of populations and just craziness. It may fascinate you to know that nimnol is an earned term, and this warrants. <laughs> yes, so there will be a ceremony later, sure, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, Our Lady of Perpetual cel- Acceleration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of this? this kid, what is this, this guy uh, thinking? Have you heard the audio? Have you heard the, uh, the, uh, oh, air, yeah. uh, the air traffic control audio? Yeah, I heard the, the, the short version. It didn't uh, uh, treat us to the full lead-up to the comment about the engine running a teensy, teensy bit rough. I know. Uh, But when you listen to the whole thing, then you bring out the nimnal badge and say, you, sir, have earned your stamp. Yeah. Because he not, I mean, you know, it's... When I first first heard this, when I first heard about this, all right, part of me's going... Okay, this is a little outrageous, but you know what? It, you're not. I mean, it's not. It's not clearly against the law to land on the beach, right? I mean, there may be circumstances. The only, the only thing he had to worry about legally is whether or not the whoever controls the Rockaway Beach prohibits aircraft landings on it. Yeah, but it's okay because he covered his tracks by having an emergency. He cooked up two or three of them. Well, he 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 got really inventive. It's 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 kind of like what you hear over. Uh, Lake Parker before, right before sun and yeah, uh, yeah, the begging. Yeah, the begging. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I go I'm back? To, I'm, I got only got three hours gas left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one of my favorite uh, Oshkosh stories. Was uh, yeah, I used to like to hang out at, uh, on the field just prior to uh, airport closing uh, during the Oshkosh week, during Air Venture Week, because first of all, there's just a lot of fun stuff going on. It's a beautiful time of day, but. Just as you get close to the eight o'clock closing of the airport, the uh, the period begins. What I call the begging begins, uh-huh, and you know uh-huh. you get people who are now too late to actually get out of the airport in time, and they're being told very politely by the controllers, "Sorry, you can't go. It's t- it's it's not enough time," and they start begging and they start making up stories. And my favorite was a guy who was all set to go in an airplane full of four people, and said, "I really need to go," and they said, "Sorry, you can't go. It's too late. You got to shut down." And he got silent for about 30 seconds. And then he came back on and said, well, I have my mother-in-law on board, and she's run out of medicine, and so I need to take her home. And, so the, and the controller, who up to this point has been very polite and very, you know, just kind of also got quiet for about 10 <laughs> seconds. And then the controller finally came back on the radio, and you could just hear in his voice the resignation. He just kind of said, all right, taxi to runway nine or whatever it was. You know, and it's like the guy made up 
a diseased mother-in-law <laughs> in order to in order to to get out of uh, out of Oshkosh. And so. I, 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 uh, copy that, copy that. Uh, can you stand by to copy the number of a Walgreens across the street from? Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, okay, the number is. Yeah, I had a. Um, I was at a, an air show uh, in Burlington, North Carolina, several years ago, um, and I got ready to go, and. Someone said, oh, by the way, you better hustle. Uh, air boss is going to shut the airport for the air show. I didn't even know they were going to have a, a, a physical air show. This was just a static display kind of thing, I thought. So I hustled the airplane and hopped in the airplane and, and, and had the frequency. You know, air boss, you know, 510 Sierra. Yeah. What do you want? So said, we want to leave. He says, well, you got about three minutes to get to the runway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, it was you know crowded airport, everything like that. I gingerly taxied out to the departure runway. I was definitely the last departure, last movement before yeah. the air show started. Yeah. He, he was very gracious. Done that a couple of years at Sun and Fun uh, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday, barely, barely after afternoon, and gotten out with the controller saying, "Okay, uh, anybody behind." To such and such November what two three seven eight nine Bravo Charlie uh, you might as well turn around and go back to the ramp because yeah. you're not going to get out and and you hear the you hear the voices going oh man <laughs> well it's, it's always funny though even off air not listening to the frequency to hear or just to be around all the uh, departures from Oshkosh after the air show and before the airport closes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very cool to see so many airplanes bugging out, especially if they're departing on 2-7. Um, yeah, well, we've been privileged to watch these departures on Sunday morning from the sure. deck of the radio station, sure. and that's when they're when they're departing to the south, it gets really uh-huh. cool to sit there on the deck and watch them all line up there on 1-8. Uh, so, yeah. It was always one of the one of the uh, parts of the cruise back home after a hard day working on the newspaper was to, you know, take the gator and the cameras and cruise the North 40, keeping 927 in close view because you never knew what you were going to see coming or going as people tried to squeeze in, you know, before before the day ended and all the airplanes went Betty by. And mm-hmm. Yeah, well, purpose. I mean, legendarily, Jeb and I had our magical moment um, on the... Uh, you keep bringing that up, man. <laughs> It's magic moment. So, anyways, th- so we're agreed that the Rockaway Beach guy, I keep wanting to call him a kid, Beach Rockaway Beach guy, it was just, well, what was the word you used, David? He's a what? Nimnal. 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 Yeah. Nimnal. That could be the episode title right yeah. there, you know? So. <laughs> you, sir, have earned your Nimnal. Here's the stamp. Hold out your hand. The, ro- the Rockaway Nimnal. Welcome, folks, to episode 233 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Recording this episode on, uh, what is today? Tuesday evening, April 12th, 2011. You're asking me? Yeah. I suddenly realized I didn't write down the the day of the week. I got the the day of the month here. But um, joining me here in the virtual hangar, uh, my very good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Uh, we're just finer than frog air here in the air capital. It's a, a, a lovely day in the neighborhood. Uh, was out with the uh, with the canine doing the evening patrol a few minutes ago, and heard an unusual airplane engine sound coming over, and stopped and took a look up, and it was a little shiny air coupe. Oh, 
looked like it was in the arrival for it could have been in the arrival for Dead Cow or Mid Continent. They're both about the same spot in the airspace right here. So, but he was just putting along into the wind, slow and slow and happy. You can see the little smiling face on the cowling there, and I could swear I saw one cylinder bump wink at me. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what happened. Um, there was there were no uh, there was no uh, malt beverages involved here. Uh, not that I can recall. Yeah, well, there you go. That's my point. Also, here is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing tonight? I'm fine, but I think we can do better than Nimnal as an episode title. You think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Rockaway Nimnal doesn't work for Rockaway you. Rockaway Nimnal, none of that really works for me. Yeah? Uh, we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll better. work on something. Yeah. We'll work on something. Yeah. How you been doing? Um, good. Um, basking in the glow, as I say, of uh, another putting another magazine in the can. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And uh, um, and way so, to go, way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, just kind of trying to figure out what I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm also one more time coming to you from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. I'm sitting right here with Jeb uh, poolside at uh, Shea Burnside uh, on the shores of Lake. Darwin, I don't Lake, know. Lake Darwin, I think we're going to call it. Yeah, okay. And uh, uh, apparently had some adventure. Well, I don't know why. I, keep I don't know why. This is as bad <laughs> as a, weather. This is talk. an aviation <laughs> yeah. podcast. This is as bad as weather talk. But Jeb had a little little uh, uh, Disney uh, real life adventure drama here on, on in the pond today. Uh, so uh, did we have a Wilson we'll encounter? We'll, we'll you, you almost want Elton John singing in the background for this. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll record this one separately and uh, like post it in the forums or something like that as a, as a bonus, right? Uh, Jeb telling his uh, his, the, his uh, wild nature live. What, what did Disney call those all those uh, uh, little nature documentaries they did a million years ago? Uh, uh, Disney uh, yeah. real life adventure or yeah, something like something that, like you know. That, but yeah. anyway, yeah. so yeah. but uh, yeah, there's a you story. Yeah, like we're old enough to remember. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll just I'll leave it by saying that there's a story involving an alligator and a turtle, yes. and the jury's still ah, out on who won. The jury's still out on exactly what happened. Yeah, um, I, I you know I have my suspicions, but uh, yeah, we're I think I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to cop a line from the the hot chicks with douchebags website. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's like you know come for the douches, stay for the boobies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so we're going to start a website come for the airplane stay for the gators yeah there you go yeah. there you go so uh okay so that's anyway now we're, i've completely lost the thread now it's uh i gotta figure out what we're supposed to be talking then about then my nefarious plan has been successful yeah right right uh david last week uh one of the items that i pushed off uh you uh, were anxious to talk about i wouldn't have pushed it off if i realized you were so anxious um that has to do with the perennial age-old question uh when you're flying uh on on a cross-country flight and uh, you're managing your fuel from the tanks in your airplane, whether or not you Come ought on. to let your tanks run dry before you switch over. What? Yeah. Jeb Frack is like having a little fracking iPad. Oh, okay. What did it do now? It won't load this graphic. Huh. What's the graphic? We'll put it up on this it's, screen. Put it up on the screen for me? No, this screen right oh, here. Screen. Yeah, okay. it's, the, it's the poll results screen. It's the poll results. Okay, let's see if we can get the smart screen. Can I have huh? to get up out of this chair and walk over there? You may have to. Hang on. I'll twist this Maybe Maybe second. that thing that you're using only goes with smart boxers instead of smart briefs. Yeah. So hang on. It's it's loading here. It's uh, 
All right. Here's well, I can tell you the results. There's only two questions. All right. Uh, so the the poll was, what's your take on running the tank dry? This is a poll from uh, I believe the AOPA's uh, uh, aviation e brief. What were the questions? Because the answers. The questions were. <laughs> poor what, what were the What were the questions? Because the answers seemed kind of foobar. Yeah, the questions were. They did. The, the, the two possible answers were keep the engines running, which means don't let it run out until the engine sputters. Uh, and then the second choice is uh, running on empty momentarily. All right? And the poll results were 71% said keep the engine running, and 29% said uh, let it run out. And, uh, now, if well, you roll your mouse over the bar that shows the results, you get to see the whole question or the whole answer. Keep the engines running. Why scare your passengers? Okay. Versus running on empty momentarily, there are times when it's a smart move. Well, okay, David, you apparently have an opinion on this subject. Yeah, what I is do it? too. Well, I, I, I never, I, I never realized that I was doing something really horrible when, on both my the airplanes that we've owned, uh, under controlled conditions, ran a tank dry, specifically to see how long it would run. Right. At tank at cruise. Right. Well, there's a difference between doing it occasionally as a sort of collect a metric versus doing it routinely as a way of managing. Well, that, well, that was just the opening salvo. What are you deranged? What if it doesn't restart? And yeah. Was, well, uh, yeah, uh, but if it was running 30 seconds ago, it's an odds-on favorite for continuing to run when I put fuel back through the fuel system. Uh, yeah, but what if? Well, what if I think I have five gallons and I turn out to only have two? Oh, well, you know, you, you should know how, when it's going to run out. How am I going to know when it's going to run out if I've never run a tank dry and I don't have a fuel totalizer? Okay. I mean, so, you know, they, they were playing with this catch-22 thing. Uh -huh. You shouldn't do that, but you need to know what it would tell you. And it turned out that there were occasions where fuel management, time, and distance involved uh, kind of mandated that one tank get run dry. Right. Or I was going to have to stop someplace way too early because of a, a, of a void in available fuel stops once I got past that. Right. But, you know, <clears throat> knew that I was going to have plenty if I just ran one, that one tank dry in due time. Uh, it never did it, you know, in, in, in like the stupid corner. Like, oh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to run out just as I'm starting that ILS. So... Yeah, maybe I'll switch a little earlier than that. But in general, in route, stable, cruising along, and let it go dead with the hand on the on the tank and the fuel and the boost pump switch. Boost pump, turn the turn turn the valve. It comes on again. Wait until it stabilizes. Turn the pump on. It off. It keeps running. You know, return to the original altitude. It generally never costs more than about two hundred, two hundred fifty feet. Jeb, what do you think? Oh, I think I think Dave's spot on. I think I think the punchline in all this though is it depends. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. It depends on the aircraft. It depends on the operation. It depends on the need. Um, I think routinely, I want the engine to continue to run seamlessly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to routinely go out and and run a tank dry. Bingo. Um, depending on the airplane, it's much easier or much more common. Um, to um, be using both tanks at the same time or, or all tanks at the same time. 
such that it's not feasible or not, um, I won't say not feasible, might not, might not be feasible either, but it might not be common operation to switch to a single tank or a single set of tanks. Um, those kinds of airplanes, it's, it's uh, you know, do I really need to bother? I'm going to use up all the gas I have here anyway, and why don't I just leave it on the all or the both uh, position and and I've, I've, I've killed several birds with one stone. Uh, for other airplanes, uh, generally speaking, low-wing airplanes, um, like Dave's Comanche and like my Debonair, um, the fuel selector has a left, right, or off position. So you cannot select both tanks at the same time. In that kind of a situation, um, it makes a great deal of sense uh, when going from a maximum range or maximum endurance flight, um, or you know, just wanting to uh, uh, do it just to see exactly as Dave says how much fuel the thing really does hold, because mm-hmm. uh, you might need to know some some dark stormy night. Um, but uh, on airplanes like that, uh, like mine, um, it's it's makes a lot more operational sense to run a tank dry. Uh, there's been a lot of occasions. I, I, I've never done it intentionally. Um, I've never had to. I've never really needed to. Uh, my airplane has a, uh, by, by airworthiness directive, you must have 13 gallons of fuel per side in the airplane before, any, before attempting a takeoff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by AD. Um, and one of my things to try, I try to do every time is when I land, I want to have about that much gas in the airplane at a, min- at a minimum. So wherever I am, I can get out to get someplace else legally. Mm-hmm. I might be on fumes when I get there. I might have to run a tank drive in to get there, but I'll be legal to take off. Right, okay. Um, so the punchline, though, again, it depends. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go around routinely running tanks, tanks dry unless um, the airplane had a left or right uh, fuel selector on it. Uh, and not a, both, not a both position on the fuel selector, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, just doesn't. Other than verifying capacity, and there's other ways to verify capacity on a, an airplane that has a both setting. Just leave it on both, mm-hmm. unless unless you know a wing is on fire. Then yeah, switch switch tanks. Um, I don't know, um, but there, there are certainly very valid operational reasons to run the tank dry. There are very valid operational reasons not to run the tank dry. The engine's restarting after, and, and you don't really run, you don't really kill the engine. The engine, if you're doing it right, a, you uh, are monitoring your fuel uh, level on that side, and you know within a few minutes, few being you know single digit minutes, on by the, the time the, the the fuel supply in that tank should be exhausted. Um, so you're kind of spring loaded <clears throat> to mm-hmm. switch tanks yeah. and, and hit the boost pump the moment it happens. Again, if you're doing it right. Um, so once the, the first sign of, of a fuel pressure drop or the first sign of any, any hiccups from the engine, switch tanks. Hit the boost pump. It'll smooth right out. Cut the boost pump off. It, you shouldn't even lose the two or 300 feet that Dave's talking about. Um, if you're doing it right, uh, and we'll put a little back pressure on the yoke while you're doing all this, you won't lose anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I understand you right, what I think I'm hearing both of you say is that you do not 
you would not do this routinely as just a way of managing fuel during a, a flight. You, if, if I was going, if I needed to have all, if, for an operational right. reason, if I wanted to have all my fuel in one tank, and there's a very valid argument uh, for having all your fuel in one tank uh, when you're low on fuel. Uh, for example, fuel selectors have been known to fail. Well, that, that's the scenario that comes to my mind, and I'm sitting here trying to decide if it's really, a, a, you know, if it's enough of an issue to worry about. And that is, you know, the case where the fuel selector or the plumbing well, somehow fails during the switch. I'll give you a great operational reason. Yeah. For, for an airplane like mine or an airplane like a Comanche uh, to run on one tank. And um, as Dave mentioned earlier, uh, if, you're, if you're on a, a max range, max endurance flight, and um, you're approaching an airport, for example, you've got, let's say you've got uh, 15 gallons on board, okay? And um, in my situation, it'd have to be an airport with fuel. Um, so you want to use, you know, you, maybe you got a, a low approach, you got you should not shoot an IFR approach or something like that. You don't want to have to sh- change tanks in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you put it on the fullest tank, obviously. Um, but if you're down to, you know, 5, 10, 15 gallons in an airplane like Comanche or Bonanza, a go-around just to climb back up to, you know, four or 5,000 feet from sea level is going to use uh, five gallons mm-hmm. at minimum. So um, it makes sense to have all the available fuel on board in one tank in a situation like that. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. I, can't, I can't imagine the discomfort of a surprise uh, dry tank in the midst of climbing out after a mist, during a missed approach. Exactly. I mean, you're already in a situation. That would get your attention. Some airplanes don't uh, – when the tank gets so low on one side, uh, Jeb was mentioning having all your fuel left in one tank as opposed to having like 15 gallons split between two. He'd rather arrive with 15 gallons split, uh, all in one. Uh, for one thing, that's going to cut way down on the chances of unporting the fuel pickup in the tank while you maneuver. Now, if you do all good positive G maneuvers like as coordinated pilots always do, right, then that shouldn't be a problem. But if you slip or skid a little bit, uh, depending on which wing's low, you could unport that pickup and have a little <laughs> in the middle of right. Trying right. to finish the approach. So uh, the more in one tank, the better. Uh, and if the fuel selector is going to break in the middle of changing because you ran out, don't you think you're running that same probability of it breaking Wait. just when you need to change tanks? Exactly. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And you find yourself kind of going, uh-oh, I'm going to run a tank dry, and I don't have the other one available. When, when, when I'm going to start looking for something real quick. When the handle comes off in your hand, you know, yeah, you have one of those oh moments. Yeah. Oh, oh, you something. You want to see my oh face? You get an oh <laughs> face <laughs> and like the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Moving so, on, David. Uh, you called our attention to this whole uh, light squared. These are the folks that are doing the G4 technology that may be interfering with GPS, right? 4G, not G4, 4G. 4G, Cell yeah. Phone. Yeah, 4G. Um, G. Is there news here, David? Your your note to us says that uh, suggests that the Pentagon has is getting getting involved here and and maybe favoring um, uh, defending GPS. What's going on? 
Well, what's happened is the uh, – uh, and I always screw this up. The uh, they, deputy they, they, secretary or the assistant secretary of both DOD and DOT has weighed in uh, saying, you know, anything that interferes with the uh, navigation system network – is a is is a net negative because so much of the nation rides on that, not just military but civilian as well. You know, air traffic management increasingly, navigation, surveying, missiles, troop placement, aircraft. You know, military aircraft navigation. So they've weighed in on this thing. Uh, what did I saw something from AIN just today? If it'll come up, yeah, here we go. Ire grows over light squared's potential GPS threat. Uh, this mentions that uh, this company is trying to expand internet connectivity uh, with this system that would put 40,000. Now, I've heard this batted around. This is not 4,000. This is 40,000 commercial transmitters that will connect your handheld device to a 4G network at kind of near cable speeds, from what I gather. That's the whole idea. Right, right. The problem is anything within uh, reception range, any GPS navigator within reception range of any one of those 40,000, which tests so far say is anything as close as 15 miles. Right. Uh, Jesus. Okay, we're going to have 40,000 Thirty mile diameter dead spots for GPS navigation. Yeah, That's I mean, got to be it's, helpful it's, for navigation. But my, my, you know, it's it's like the opening line of the first, last letter I wrote. One of my Congress critters. Are you insane? Yeah, I know. It just, yeah, it seems like a no brainer. This is a bad idea. It's, it's and, just uh, a really bad idea. What, what intrigues me most, though, is that in in first time in recent memory, the federal government is actually going out and defending one of its most successful programs. Finally, they've woken up. It's been two months since we've been talking about this. I know. Okay. Yeah. And, and the DOD, who not coincidentally paid for, built, and manages these satellites, um, has all of a sudden decided that there shouldn't be any interference. Well, how about that? Yeah, this, uh, this is all dependent on, an, on a Federal Communications Commission finding that Light Squared could go forward uh, with its planning on this, but in the meantime, needed to do some tests and research and bring back results that showed that, and this is kind of the way it was stated, you got to test this and bring back results that show us, FCC, that this won't interfere with existing users of the GPS spectrum. And the first thing out of these people's mouths was, well, the GPS users will just need to adapt. That's like bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> <laughs> how do you? How do you really Bender, feel? To quote yeah. Bender, uh, you know, uh, quote Dave, bite my fleshy, pale white ass. Uh, we don't have to. Well, that's you, just you got to fix your system, guys. You got to fix your system. It either it doesn't interfere or it goes away like new Coke and clear Pepsi. Un- uncontrolled airspace. After dark. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, I think we know how Dave feels about this. And so uh, there's hope, right? There's a great quote in here in in today's AIN alerts, Aviation International News, 
uh, that they quote a senior military official who, saying that they this official told AIN, quote, and I couldn't have done this better if I'd have made it up. This is totally dumb. If someone <laughs> interferes with GPS to sell Internet service to West Podunk, don't sugarcoat it, Dave. Give it to us straight. No, this is this is a senior military official's quote. I didn't have to make this up. This is somebody actually making sense. So, uh, you know, write your Congress animal, uh, write your senator, write your uh, House of Representatives. Uh, I don't care which side of the spectrum comes from. Uh, this has got to be screeched to a silly, silly halt yeah. very quickly. Yeah. So yeah, write your write your representatives and and. Uh, um let them know what you think about this. Moving and, on and here. So, have, have yeah. them send the FCC commissioners to analysis because clearly something non functional with the FCC to have let it gotten this far and them not understand the ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. This is their business. They should freaking know. That spectrum was reserved to protect GPS. And they're going to put 40,000 freaking high power transmitters on the ground. No, 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 no. Uh, I know a good analyst. Just call me. I'll give you their number. Okay. In my opinion, flying breaks all the laws of physics. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. I'm Stephen Hawking, but you knew that. The sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. The sum of the squares of the legs of the sum of the squares of the sum of the squares of the sum of the squares. Go ahead, try to come up with an aircraft that Dave Higdon doesn't want to fly. Welcome back to Uncontrolled Airspace. Moving on. Um, so, I, I think during the pre-show, you guys expressed a desire to not talk about too much about this kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, Jeb you, Jeb, you put in the notes here that there's more information regarding this uh, Southwest Airlines uh, 737 there that where the uh, yeah. fus- fuselage ruptured. What's came, going on? came here? across a fairly authoritative uh, uh, source who, who specified basically what had happened to the airframe, um, where the rupture occurred, how long it was. Um, these kinds of things, and, and uh, uh, one of the things that strike comes out at this, or jumps out at, at, at me at this, is this is basically the center of the airplane, and it's part of the, the airframe structure that also carries uh, some landing gear loads. This is a high-cycle airplane, as I recall, plus 39,000 cycles, uh, which means that in addition to being pressurized and depressurized 39,000 times, it's had 39,000 landings, mm-hmm. okay? And as we all know, especially if you're riding with me, every landing imposes a load on the airframe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, okay, you, yeah. You, it took you a while. You're not though. giving us anything to play with here. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's Tuesday. Um, so, um, um, you know, that's, that's that, that seems to be what, what has happened right. here with this airframe. Um there's no official NTSB report or any other kind of report with, uh, report with which I'm familiar, but this all seems very plausible and and very manageable in a lot of different ways. So um, that, that's well, good news. 
and, and, and it kind of makes sense in the context of the testing that Boeing did on this fuselage structure to prove that it's worth 75,000 pressurization cycles. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm very familiar with what iron birds do uh, in, the, in the chess environment, but I'm not sure the iron birds also contribute 75,000 landing impacts to the pressurization cycles when they're testing these airplanes. I mean, because at 75,000 cycles, the, the one that failed was just barely over halfway through its service life. Uh, and to have this happen, and of course it happened before, uh, and that'll be that's been redesigned for the new generation 737s. Well, that's that's the other thing. These are what I call the second generation 737s, right. of which you know they're about to be retired anyway. Um, um, the first with the high bypass engines on them. Right. Um, so you know, it, it's not like you know, you know a brand new. Um, uh, Airbus. Well, that's another topic. Brand new uh, Boeing or, or something like that's falling out of the sky every other day. This is, um, you know, and, and no one, no one's been injured yet in one of these. Well, I'll take that uh, back. It, the, and, and that that, that was a different situation. The, the the Aloha Airlines and back in '88 when the top peeled back, that was something of a different situation. In that uh, salt air was involved also. Well, and and the rupture on the Aloha airplane started at about the same place. Right. Uh, and you're right. You, you know, uh, salt water. Uh, you know, corrosion is more of a factor. That airplane had a hell of a lot more cycles on it too. Yeah, and, and, or and, than, and that was one of the original. That that was one of the first generation seven threes back, too. And they redesigned that joint after that. And the uh, uh, the three hundred, four hundred, five hundred series were already in production. They redesigned that joint because now the for a number of years now. The entire fuselage is built in one piece in here in Wichita before it's shipped up to the Puget Sound area to have the wings and engines and all that stuff added to it. Uh, they've gone a long way to streamline and putting those together and making them simpler and stronger. Uh, but you're, you're pointing out the landing gear loads on Section 44 joints, and that's really telling because Southwest airplanes, they do earn their keep. They do. Business. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting. Um, there's a f- traditional NTSB investigation going on this, right? So there'll be some information at some point. Yes? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Moving on again. Um, a little bit of a, a, a UCAP uh, admin subject here. I just wanted to let people know that uh, I just recently, over the last couple days, I finally cleared out a whole big backlog of uh, forum registration requests and uh, approved them all, or most of them. They're almost all legitimate. And uh, and so a bunch of you might have been waiting uh, to be improve, approved in the forums, and that should be done now. Um, first of all, my apologies for the delay, but it happens sometimes. And uh, But I, to my knowledge, I now have approved every request that was in the queue. Um, so if if any of you are out there uh, who put in a request, have not received an activation uh, email, and or have, are still unable to log in to the forums, and keep in mind, you can still read the forums without this registration. This is only so that you can log in and, and post uh, messages. If, uh, if you're not activated yet and you registered, uh, send me another email, and uh, we'll figure this out real, fi- real quickly, I promise. Um, so that's just my little bit of administration here. 
So I'm hot on the heels of the uh, big story about the Washington National Controller who nodded off uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, We hear the story. What? I'm sorry. Yeah, all right. Uh, That's exactly, that's pretty much the way it happened. Um, Is uh, uh, he was listening to UCAP and he fell asleep. Uh, No, he, uh, so uh, uh, we're suddenly hearing about another uh, controller uh, who, this one didn't simply fall asleep, this one decided to take a nap in the middle of the night. Um, When I first heard this story, I'm still uh, appalled by this story. I, I was doubly appalled at first because I thought that this incident happened after we had heard about the Washington National one. Oh. And, and I believe that the, the the guy who decided to take a nap actually happened some months ago. And I don't know if it's just coming to light or if it's just, you know, someone decided, oh, maybe we better fess up about this. Or I think that's what I read. Jeb, you're, you're trying to find the story I right got, now. Uh, excuse me. I got the story. Um, unnamed controller slept for five hours intentionally during the midnight shift on February 19 in Knoxville. Um it's the second incident in as many months. The Washington Reagan, excuse me, I, I can't, I can't, can we just, we'll just take that out. Yeah, right? yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, the, the Washington National controller who fell asleep um, for at least 24 minutes shortly after midnight, well, that occurred on March 23. So there's more than a month between these, and the guy in Knoxville who intentionally did it for five freaking hours yeah, really. Uh, was really the first. And, um, I'm like, come on, man! <laughs> I know. <laughs> what What is your deal? I know. I, you know, I was I was you know somewhat sympathetic to the Washington National guy. Yeah. I mean, they, and that was a that was a big stupid mistake, and there needed to be consequences. I, by the way, think I believe he's been fired now. Is I, he? I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Yeah, and I think that's I a little extreme, to be honest with you. Uh, there certainly need to be consequences. There certainly Which need to be. Re- the, the, the national controller or the. The, the Washington the, national uh, controller. David, do you know any follow up on what is ultimately become of the Washington national controller? I do not. I know that they were moving to fire the controller at Knoxville. Yeah, well, okay. I'm there. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. I mean, here's the, here's the nitty gritty, though. This bear is fleshing out. The controller that decided to take a five-hour nap in Knoxville, and that's the critical phrase here, decided to take a nap Mm -hmm. at Knoxville, basically pawned off his Tracon responsibilities to a tower controller who did not fall asleep and handled the the other controller's workload for five hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, The poor schmo at Washington National he nodded off and didn't wake up right away. And I hope to hell they don't fire him. I mean, come on. You know, remedial training, uh, a no-dose dispenser machine in there, <laughs> yeah. bring in a Starbucks, add a second body to the ship. Yeah, like well, that's already happened, apparently. Like they're finally doing. Like, duh. Uh, that when you got solos on some of these ships and nothing happens for hours, uh, you know, it's just a fatigue yeah. yeah, it's a fatigue gremlin invitation is what it right. is. Right, yeah. David, you just went off in the distance. Did you change something? Nope, I just backed up. You just tra- drifted away. Uh, Nodded off there for a second. Too okay. pissed off. Yeah, okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, the, the, the Washington National guy, somewhat sympathetic. The Knoxville guy deserves what he gets. Well, what's funny is the Knoxville guy apparently kind of volunteered that he'd done this when, as a result of the March 23 incident, the FAA started 
actively investigating whether there had been other incidents. And the guy said, well, yeah, uh, I took a nap one ship. Uh, okay, well, what? then here's just clear-cut proof that this guy is not real smart. What? What? Have you been out flying with the guy from Rockaway Beach? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, enough of this. Enough of this. We've made our point clear, I think. Um, but, never mind. Yeah. I see what you guys were talking about during the pre-show, because there are a bunch of uh, airline stories here, but these are kind of interesting. We've got this uh, this Airbus. Um, what's Don't that? go there. We're going to talk about it anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, no, we are going to talk about it, because this is, this is interesting. This is this, uh, I don't know what airline it is, but it's the Airbus that uh, got uh, fire warnings, uh, uh, what is it, soon after takeoff. and uh, Coming out of uh, um, New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, did all the right things, apparently, uh, ran the checklists and, and dealt with the, the quote, I'm making finger quotes here, the problem, um, and then came back to landing. And now that they're t- kind of investigating the whole thing, they can't find any evidence that there was actually a fire. Um, well, it's, it, it, the, the, that's according to uh, several days ago, NTSB uh, press release. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, uh, some of the circuits that were deactivated per the checklist, uh, disabled things that would be nice to have. Yeah. <laughs> like like cabin communications. Right. And uh, there was and, and something else. The the FO got up to communicate with the cabin, leaving the captain in charge of the aircraft. Yeah. And the captain in the process in, in going through well, I don't know at which stage the checklist was run but uh, was basically down to primary uh, instruments, so no no EFD, no no uh, computed data mm-hmm. on his, yeah. on the screen. He was just down to gauges. Um, and um, now, didn't this airplane ultimately go off the runway as well? Well, part of the the other part of the problem is apparently they lost um, uh, braking and nose steering control. Yeah. Okay. As a result of whatever glitch this was. I'm kind of wondering if it's not a hardware software glitch uh, somewhere in the bowels of this thing, and and uh, um, does not sound like there was a fire. Yeah, it really does not. It, it definitely sa- it sounds, sounds like, like a technical problem. Yeah, it sounds like some sort of sensor glitch or something. And uh, you know, but it, you know, what's what's the what's the flight crew to do? I oh mean, no! I well, think the, the flight crew. From everything I've yeah. heard, the flight crew did exactly right. Yeah, but and, it sure calls out. For, it kind of screams for attention because we're seeing more of this kind of hardware in in GA airplanes. Uh, that's what I'm thinking, where you've got all this integration between the flight instruments and the flight control systems and the electrical system and, and all this stuff, and you start going into reversionary mode to work on it to, to you know be, shut something down because it's failed, uh, and and what it might shut down with that. Makes me wonder whether anybody ever really went through this checklist and said, you know, if we pull that breaker and this breaker and this breaker, these guys aren't going to be able to stop or steer. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, how much do they need to stomp and steer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. I well, mean, they're on fire. What does it matter? Yeah, right? what does it matter? Yeah, exactly right. I hope the crew comes out of this one okay. Um, this sounds like just a real bad deal for them. Yeah. Um, 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 not a, I, w- I wouldn't say that about the Airbus A380 captain uh, last night at JFK, though. 
uh, whoever was right. I don't. Did you see the video on that? Oh, that's right. This is the 380 clipped the clipped CRJ. The, clipped the clipped the RJ. I forgot about this. Isn't on the list. It yeah, spun the RJ about 90 degrees. Did it really? Yes. I just it, saw a headline it, about that. It was like it was like a video game, man. It was like <laughs> three, 380 just comes rolling along and knocks this knocks this little CRJ out of the way. And, out of the way. And, and you know, it's like. Whoa! <laughs> Out of the way, you little regional jet! Right. You're, you're in my way. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, stand it, aside. Six hundred passes. Yeah, it was on the, the uh, Today Show apparently this morning. There's okay. video of the. There's there's, there's video. This happened last night yeah, at JFK. I know that. Yeah. There's, that's how I know about it. I saw the video. Oh really? I've only read the article. Oh, we got to find the video. All right. Oh we'll, yeah. We got to track down this video's video. out there. <laughs> yeah. So it's not been a really great week for the airlines, uh, for airline crews. That is. Uh, that's yeah. And and it's not only a big you know hard to maneuver airplane. It's ugly. It's fugly. Yeah, fugly. I, know. I was doing that for your benefit. I know, I know you think I it's know. ugly. And, uh, so, anyways, um, where were Tom we? Air sixty two something or other. Yeah. So. Oh my. Uh, yep. Here's the video. Oh, you're looking oh. at the video. Tell us what oh. you're seeing because we don't dare run videos here from from Shea Burnside during the okay. podcast. Stand by. First, I want to mute this puppy. Okay. All right. What I'm seeing is a. Oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the the, the you CRJ. Hadn't, you hadn't seen that before. I think it's an ERJ. I think it's an Embraer. I don't. Someone said it was a CRJ. I saw a text that said C, but it could be an E. Yeah. Well, any, at, at any rate, it's a little regional jet. Uh, it's sitting perpendicular to the line of travel of the A380. And in the footage that I see here, it looks like security camera footage. Yeah. The 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 the, uh, the little regional jet is sitting stationary. Uh, the uh, A380 is taxiing from right to left, uh, and it gets and not down the, to not right, the CRJ. Right, right. It it looks like it hits the uh, the it looks like the A380 wing hits just below the horizontal stab, and that's a T-tail jet, the, the little regional jet, about eight feet inboard from the winglet on the Airbus. Oh, it so catches the tail, close. and it turns the regional jet 90 degrees. As it goes <laughs> it spun it right around, man. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what made me go, whoa, my. Uh, <laughs> was it and you hurt? see, it, it, well, it, and, and there's audio with this, too. The, uh, the the crew the crew of the regional it looks like a sop with go oh wait a minute hold it back that up <laughs> whoever shot the video says it looks like a sop with camel to me <laughs> okay well, I've got the Foker in sight yeah. yeah right all right well I'm gonna have to track that down I need to see that we'll put it on the show notes and we'll probably put it in the blog too so anybody wants to take a look at that oh, go to the blog man. ladies yeah. and gentlemen please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened well you know no all kidding aside stop at the gate now I know why exactly <laughs> all kidding aside this is a great example of why they do that you know and I, I travel a little bit on the airlines these days and it's amazing how how often, um, particularly after you've landed, all right, and you're taxiing in from the runway, and people get itchy and they start unbuckling. And oh, I know it drives me. 
and people don't understand why it's important to stay buckled until right. you're all the way to the gate. And this is a classic example exactly of right. the kind of thing that can happen that w you need to be buckled in until you, the ladder plane is all the way down with the brakes on and you know out it of harm's way. Bat okay, it just drives me back, Guano. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, no, it's it's an, it's an oh my god, and uh, uh, you know. Oh, it really is. Um, I hope everybody aboard the RJ was is okay. I, I'm sure uh, everybody aboard the 380 is okay, except the captain. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or whoever was well, the captain. Yeah. Or whoever parked the RJ where they parked it. Well, no, dude, I told you the he was at a taxiway. Forward. He was at a taxiway. Um, I know. And apparently, it had just landed, and was waiting to cross the runway or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, wow. You um, know, caution, wide load ahead. Yeah. <laughs> David, while we were at Sun and Fun, uh, you met a gentleman that I, I wish I had met as well. Uh, this is uh, a Howie Marlin from uh, Katama Airfield in uh, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Oh, and, yeah, that's Howie. Uh, um, and uh, I have since exchanged a couple of emails with him, and uh, he's, he's working on some interesting things. Um, do you recall uh, from your conversation, can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects he's working on? Now, one in particular, he's working on a video project that's kind of interesting. He's apparently working on a video project that uh, talks about uh, teaching kids to fly. Uh, he's very active at Katama Airfield in Martha's Vineyard, which is, a, I believe, is a grass strip um, uh, near the beach uh, on the, what's well, been a long yeah, time since it's been. Yeah, coming back. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, let's see if it, I've got this email here. Uh, we have an exciting project going here on Martha's Vineyard. We'd like to have you guys involved. The short story is that I'm determined to make an impact and help the entire next generation uh, to look up. I think talking about the sky. Uh, a, a part of a small group of pilots, uh, video professionals uh, who find GA evaporating before our eyes, and we think that we may have found the key, um, a television internet show about teenagers learning to fly. And so they're working on this show uh, there on Martha's Vineyard, and uh, it just sounds pretty intriguing to me. Um, the, you can learn more about this um, at uh, uh, the website aviationisland.info. So aviation island one word then dot info and yeah, it uh, sounded really intriguing and Howie's enthusiasm was un, uh, unrestrained and and might point out that uh, he also serves as an airport volunteer for the AOPA uh, at his home field so you know the guy's really engaged and uh, uh, he, he talked about following a large number of young students trying to pick out you know the the smaller number to focus on all the way through some you know some that are personable uh good representatives and have that that bite that you know they, they've, they've gotten the bug they've been thunderstruck by airplanes uh, yeah, yeah. Here's it a better. Should be really good when it's done. Yeah, here's a better uh, paragraphs that uh, uh, paragraphs get it um, that uh, describes what he's up to. This is from the website, the Aviation Island website. He says uh, a Katama Airfield is a, a rural grass airport with character, run in a very uncharacteristic way. It's being shot through the eyes of a 17-year-old girl and two teenage cousins who are learning to fly. Add in her father, who is almost ready for his checkride, and their grandfather. The 85-year-old aviator patriarch who is sharing his passion with the two new generations of pilots. The goal is to draw teenagers to look to the sky and want to be there. 
Uh, there are lots of things happening on Martha's Vineyard for the, in the summer, and we'll fold those shenanigans in throughout the season. So uh, it's an interesting project, and I'm really looking forward to, to uh, seeing it progress. Uh, I'm actually, I, I think I may try and get down there sometime this summer, or more likely next fall, when, which is when Martha's Vineyard becomes truly magnificent in the fall, and uh, and check this all out. So. Uh, um, <coughs> Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, looking forward to hearing more about it. Now, this actually, I'm sorry, David, anything you wanted to add to that? I was just, you, you were mentioning being back up in uh, New England in the fall, so you'll be returning to your winter home. I am returning to my winter home actually next week, I'm sad to say. Um, but uh, that's a story for another episode. Um, but no, so, you know, and you know me, I'm always trying to find great segues. Well, here's the perfect segue because uh, in, in Howie Marlin's email to me, he tells about how. Uh, during uh, one of the early production sessions for this uh, TV show, this video, um, they uh, witnessed an off-field landing of the week. And uh, in the email he writes, uh, production for the pilot episode began last weekend, and unbelievably it began with an off-field landing. He says, after a day of taping aircrafts and pilots, one of our producers was coming home for dinner Saturday night when a Saratoga silently glided over his head to land directly in front of him. Uh, he ran to help the pilot and passengers, uh, and his wife called for help. Uh, he says, I mean seriously, what are the odds? And uh, points us to the news story about this, which shows, I'm opening the news story now. Here, let's see. Uh, no injuries in private plane crash on State Beach, Oak Bluffs. And that's one of the beaches on uh, Martha's Vineyard. Here's an example of putting it down on the beach where, you know, yeah. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, this is uh, from the story. Gene Dupont of Edgartown was at the controls of his fixed-wing Piper single-engine airplane on his way to Martha's Vineyard's airport from Hyannis Saturday evening with his passenger Susan King when the plane's engine stopped over Nantucket Sound. Oops. Uh, yeah, oops. Uh, Mr. Dupont, an experienced pilot, set his stricken plane down on moonlit uh, Joseph Silva State Beach on Oak Bluffs. Uh, the plane crashed at about 8.45. And I don't think, it doesn't sound like the plane crashed. Yeah, I don't think it crashed. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call it a crash. Yeah. There's a series of pictures here of it sitting on the beach. Uh, it's uh, There's no gear showing, so they either the gear was down and got crushed or there was or they kept it up. And uh, I, I don't think I would have wanted to put the wheels down on the toga if oh, I had oh, yeah. land on that on that beach in that direction. Oh, yeah, absolutely I would have. You, you would have put them down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, okay. I, I'm not a I'm not a uh, um, I'm not a retract. Uh, we know, talked about this, pilot, we, but I've we, been convinced that putting them down would have helped in this situation. We, we talked about this in a recent episode, I think. But putting the gear down, um, even if the landing is not successful, the landing gear is going to absorb some some energy. Very and true. When, Very if it's tucked away, it's not. Yeah, David, you would have left the gear <clears throat> up. Why? Well, I'm looking at the terrain behind the airplane. Uh, and looking at it as an ironclad guarantee that it's going to get ripped off, torn up, dug in. Uh, landing gear up the way he did, uh, I expect that the repair of the airplane is going to be much farther away from totaled than it would have been if the wheels had been ripped away because that's kind of rough terrain behind him. Yeah. I hear you. Here, now, if he'd here. been landing along, if I'd been landing on the beach, Parallel to the water, uh, absolutely wheels down and take what I get. Here, uh, here's my response to that: Who cares about the airplane? Why do I want to save the airplane? Why, why do I care if if you know the airplane will ever fly again? I want my butt on the ground, stopped. And um, 
you know, he, if he I have to sacrifice that. the airplane to do that or, or, or incur more severe damage by having a landing gear down, I think I'll be, I'll come out for the better. And, and there are circumstances in which I agree with you absolutely. I'm not sure I would have done it in this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 By the way, this is, this is a fascinating series of photographs. Yeah, this uh, is really cool. As part of this article uh, that show uh, the aircraft sitting on the sand, but then uh, a series of photographs as they disassemble the aircraft and uh, get it onto a truck and uh, carry it away. It's uh, pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And, and, and for anybody that's an aircraft owner who's never considered this, coverage for disassembling an otherwise undamaged airplane is available and it's really cheap it's it's usually included in your, in a good policy yeah um, so some, and, some don't include it unless you ask yeah. yeah yeah so congratulations to pilot gene dupont of agartown uh, massachusetts for uh, getting the airplane down on the ground safely and oh, that uh, just hurts yeah i'm yeah. watching a winch the, the airplane fuselage up the back of a Flatbed. Yeah, there is a video know, here as well. Yeah, so uh, and uh, and finally, uh, thank you uh, once again to to uh, Howie Marlin of uh, Katama Airfield uh, for uh, pointing us in the direction of this interesting story. That's uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Shout outs. How are we doing here? You got any shout outs? Uh, yeah, <coughs> Comanche Sioux. Uh, what about Com- Comanche Sioux? Um, several months ago, published in or uh, wrote in the uh, forums at uh, UCAP. Um, about an episode she and she uh, went through several months ago um, regarding stuck landing gear on her Comanche, and um, some some months ago also I had asked her to to write up a uh, an account of this episode, and uh, she uh, we finally connected during Sun and Fun to close that loop, and um, uh, turned out a very very nice little piece on the whole episode. Uh, it's going to be in the May issue of uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. Great. And just, 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 uh, yeah, just a, uh, uh, a thank you to Sue and uh, once again, add a girl. Good job all the way around. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll put a, re- a little refresher link in the show notes back to the uh, forum uh, post that she did originally when she talked about uh, this uh, little adventure she had with... Uh, what was it? With a, was it was with a, what turned out to be a, a, a false um, gear not down no, indication. No, it turned out to be um, um, a servicing issue. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, um, the airplane had been washed kind of sort of against her wishes uh, with a pressure washer. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't really dried off or anything like that. Some rod ends. Uh, on the gear doors, apparently the main gear doors, um, had basically rusted uh, themselves, corroded themselves okay. to where um, the gear mechanism could not overpower. Okay. But the, uh, but the, the issue seizures. during flight was that she was getting a the, gear not the, down. The issue during flight was she could not get the gear down. Right. The gear would not come down right. yeah. through both normal and emergency means. Yeah. And um, she finally we did fig- some abnormal things, and it got <laughs> yeah. it down. She figured out an airplane configuration uh, for in in which she could get the gear down. Yeah, and she um, landed the airplane on its wheels, and the airplane is is fine and dandy. Yeah, no issues. Yeah. and this is all at night over South Florida with thunderstorms nearby. Right. So, um, yeah, at a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she gets the. Cool head Joe Pilot yeah. would stick award of the year in exactly. my book. Yeah, there you go. There you go. 
shout out here to, I'm not sure who this is to exactly, but uh, this is kind of a funky story. Turns out that uh, Virgin Galactic, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, Sir Richard Branson company that is working with Scale Composites, the... Uh, the uh, Burt Rutan company to create the first, uh, you know, kind of commercial instance of, of uh, spaceflight rides, rides into suborbit. Um, they are looking to hire spaceship pilots. And uh, I just think this is, David, we've got a job for you. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a resume out. Yeah, really. Send it, send it along. See what happens. If nothing else, the I got interview a lot process. Of dead, I got a lot of dead stick landings, man. Yeah. A lot <laughs> right. of dead stick landings. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, the story here from AviationWeek.com, Virgin Galactic is looking for a few good pilots, very good pilots, to, fl- to fly paying customers to the edge of space and back in spaceship two ro- the, in its Spaceship 2 rocket plane. Um, so, uh, yeah, you guys should throw your hat in the ring. I think if nothing else, the interview process would be a hoot. You know, uh, well, it'd be short. time another design. So. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, you can go check this out uh, by going to uh, Aviation Week's website and finding the story. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. But uh, uh, they're apparently getting pretty ready to do these things. They're talking like within, I don't know, sometime this fall maybe that they're going to actually. You know, Sir Richard doesn't do this stuff just because it's fun, sexy, and he's got money to blow. Yeah, well. <laughs> Although it helps to be fun, sexy, and have money they, to blow. They better do it soon because apparently he's now into submarine rides. He may lose interest in the whole space thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah. There's a, that's he, a, he'd never lose. His interest in anything, he just adds new ones. I know. David, <laughs> David, can you? Jeb apparently is not familiar with this. David, have you? Can you confirm this? The whole thing where uh, Sir Richard's got this new deal where he's built this submarine that he's going to give. Oh no! He wants to be able to take people to the depths of the ocean. Yes, uh, I mean real. you know. Yeah. It's the apogee and it, it what it's the apogee and perigee. Yeah, now, something like that. See, it's not exactly, but, but see, I get your point. Where yeah. do I send a resume to him? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, uh, anyways, but, yeah. I, I've done I've done my time underwater. I'm I'm good for that one. Spe- speaking space of, job, I don't mind. Speaking yeah. of submarines and airplanes, is yeah. there any are there any developments in the Air France four four seven search? Well, that's a good question, and I haven't heard anything. When we I talked haven't heard about anything it, since last episode. When we talked about it last week, we thought that there would be more news within a couple of days, yeah. and there hasn't been, yeah. which is kind of puzzling you'd think they would have found more stuff more quickly i don't know i I think they've homed in on finding the more stuff and now that they've found actual debris and a lot of it the 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 shift goes to pinpointing where they might recover uh the two recorders right because that ultimately that's the whole yeah that's what they're looking that's what they're looking for so they they're they they may have gone you know it may be an ep uh Excuse me. Maybe an event where um, um, they basically have found what they were looking for, as far as the the wreckage field, um, right? And it's now they've shifted to what they call recovery, and maybe different vessels, maybe different people, uh, different equipment. There's all kinds of, of variables here, and so they may be just taking a several day break too, yeah, just to re- reorganize and reequip now that they know what they're after. Now that they know. Maybe. Where what they're after Maybe. actually right. yeah. is. Yeah, so, okay. David, any shout-outs? Yeah, I got one little one. Uh, it's funny. Uh, 30 years ago today was the first shuttle flight. 50 years ago today was the first time a human being flew beyond Earth's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That was Yuri Gagarin of the uh, uh, Soviet what is it? The uh, USSR. That's what it was in those days. United Soviet Socialist Republic. 
put a man not only in space, but he orbited the Earth on April 12th, 1961. Yeah, that really, it really was today. I thought that's a funny coincidence. Yeah. That, you know, be, uh, 50 years ago well, today. Today was... Today was the 30 years ago. Today was the first shuttle flight. Yeah, uh, uh, which is retiring this year. Satellite. What, what a coinky dink! Yeah, I know. Huh? You know. Yeah, strange how that happened. The sobering yeah. part of this. The sobering part of this is that we are what something on the order of of eight years away from the 50th anniversary of the last time we sent anybody to the moon. Well, maybe not quite, but. You get my point. Um, <coughs> Close enough. Uh, we made all that progress way back when. Uh, about, very, very exciting yeah, at the time. About 20 years. It's, it's, no, it's 30 years now. Yeah. And, and uh, 30 years ago, is, uh, it, it, this is the 50th anniversary when I first held hands with Alex McVitie at Rose Hill Elementary School. So. <laughs> No, it, All right. No, it, just, just, just to refresh, um, it, coming up on 40 years since we had a man on the moon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah right. That's, that's what I meant. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. So uh anyways. Uh any other shout outs? Anybody? Yes? No? Okay. Time to stick a fork well, in maybe, this one. Maybe maybe like, why don't we shout out to the guy that invented shout outs? Okay. There go you go. It. Go for it. No, I, I, that's all I have to say. All right. <laughs> that was the shout-out. I'm not sure if I'm for it or against it. Yeah, okay. Dave Higdon is a, an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, net. Uh, a number of other reputable and disreputable places. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? JeBurnside.com, uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, occasionally on AEA.net, and occasionally on AvWeb.com. Yeah. And, I- and, 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 you know, come for the airplanes, stay for the alligators. And I'm Jack. That's the title right there. (laughs) That's the title right there. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to all the other listeners who have created the excellent UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be much. Just $10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to say something. Well, you know, Ponce de Leon went looking for the fountain of youth, and if he'd had just gone flying, it would have worked out, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. They didn't have airplanes back then, man. TTFN. All right. Now, before we lose the rhythm here, uh, Jeb, tell us, describe for us the scene okay. you saw out on the lake so this morning. I'm, with I'm hanging out in the lake this morning. I finished my, my work work uh, for a couple hours. And needed to walk out of the house. I'm walking around the, the backyard a little bit, and I see uh, Wilson. He's out. You know, Wilson kind of, is one of your resident alligators in the pond Wilson here. is one of the resident alligators. This is the younger one of, of three that I've noticed um, in the vicinity of my lake. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I'm out, you know, kind of. He basically takes a position about 15 feet off the shore of the lake watching me, and I'm about another 50 feet or so beyond um, the uh, the shore of the lake. So I'm on solid ground, obviously. I'm milling around doing some things. I walk back in to the house. I'm seeing him. He's kind of watching me and all this kind of thing. We have this 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 arrangement going on. Yeah. Okay. He stays on the I stay on the land. He stays in the water. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so... Um, I walk back inside and I'm doing some stuff in the in the uh, in the pool area, and I and I see him swimming around, sw- swimming out in front of the island from right to left, and uh, I don't pay him a whole lot of attention, and and I look up again and there's this huge disturbance in the water, and I'm like, what in the world? And um, I keep looking, and all of a sudden there's this there's this line of bubbles about two feet wide on the water that start running towards the island. And the island's out in the middle of the lake. So I'm watching all this, and the alligator comes up uh, at the trail of, of, the, of the bubbles at the, um, at the island and starts moving along the island's edge. He's got something big in his mouth. And I'm like, what is going on here? I run, grab the binoculars, and it's a turtle. He's got a turtle in his mouth. And not a small turtle. Not a small turtle. This is like, this is like a dog carrying a Frisbee, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to paint a picture. And he crawls up on the island, and there's this, there's this brief commotion. And the next thing I see is this turtle moving at about 30 knots. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had never seen a turtle move this quickly. Skittering across the island and into the water. And there's Wilson. Apparently, you know, I, I, I couldn't really tell, but I'm thinking that he only got one turtle in his mouth. And, and the one turtle got away. And and Wilbur's basically laying there on the bank of the island, tired and shagged out after a long squat, in the immortal words of Monty Python. And then he finally kind of slides tail first back down in the water and, and moves on. And that's that's the day's excitement. Yeah. So I, 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 I've been wondering how long it would take before Wilson would try one of those turtles. Yeah, and if it's a big ass terrapin that I saw on your shore, uh that's going to be a problem for him because it's not that soft green shit like the, like the ones that never come out of the water. Well, well, this one I think was a soft shell, okay, and and for some reason I think, um, Wilson didn't know what to do with it, or or that, or he just couldn't he couldn't break the shell or get into the shell. The turtle got away. The turtle was moving like it wasn't wounded. Mm-hmm. All that badly. I kind of wonder if Wilson's mouth tore up. Yeah, I, I, I think Wilson might have lost in this whole. I think encounter. so too. Yeah. I think he was. He literally has some wounds to lick if he still can. Yeah, and, and he could have gotten his ass bit by that thing while he's holding on to it. That's what we're saying. Yeah, it got yeah. bit. Yeah. And, so and if if it's the if it's one of the big ones that I saw, there's no way in hell he can swallow that. No, he's he's yeah. not a fucking snake. It's not. Yeah. So what we can't figure out is why Wilson brought the turtle on shore, because everything I've read says that when these alligators encounter something that's too big to just kind of swallow down, they actually pull it underwater and drown it. And for some reason, and that's what makes me think that Wilson was in some distress. All right, is I that I say there's a fight going on there. Yeah. He was getting his ass licked and thought maybe getting out of the water would help him. Yeah, maybe. Because huh? usually what they'll do is when they drown it. If it's too big to eat right away, and a lot of the shit they catch is, they stuff it underwater someplace until 
Mother right. Nature tenderizes exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so. so the meat falls off the bone. Yeah. And the bone falls off the joint. And then, the, and then, well, well, I haven't eaten dinner yet. I probably don't want that sausage now. Yeah, but uh, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. <clears throat> um, could have been that that being a, a a water creature, the alligator knew to take it out of the water, thinking it would die more quickly if it was out of the water. I just can't. I don't know. I can't credit the alligator with that much intelligence. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I'm betting you're right, Jack. I'm betting he was getting his ass handed to him with a. With, because those, even those soft, big, green, flat ones, we've got some living in a pond near us that are like that. And I've seen them come out of the water with fish in their mouth. And the fish is kind of going, what the fuck? What the fuck? Put me in the water! Put me in the water! I'm drowning here! 